Uh, good morning. My name is Dennis. I'm curate here. I'm sorry I wasn't up here. My daughter was with me. Her mum's just picked her up, so um, my hands are free now. We can, we can move forward. We have begun a series looking at the person of Moses, and Richard introduced some of that last week, and I'm certain we'll uh, continue the story of Moses next week. I must admit to not having been briefed on the series, so I don't know where exactly Richard is going with it. Uh, so in preparation for this particular sermon, I have just prayerfully picked a passage. We have also, as part of our week here at church, been having an induction week for uh, our team, our staff team. Uh, one of the things which is a value to us is whenever one person is added to the team, we start afresh and become a new team. So part of our prayerful journey this week has been trying to uh, work out what our values are going to be as a team uh, and how we are going to function with each other. So some of that may feature in what emerges from the passage. And uh, I'm hoping, especially for uh, the two joining the team and for those who've been part of the team for a bit longer and for those who've been part of the team for a bit longer, um, these will be fruitful things to look into. So where do we find this person, Moses? Um, the story of Israel is a long one. It's a very long one. In fact, I'd suggest it's not ended yet. Um, they are, at the point we meet them in the passage, uh, slaves in a country where they had been granted um, asylum, a, a country where they had been uh, granted a place to live, uh, food uh, was a guarantee, and no oppression. But if you read from the beginning of Exodus, a king, Pharaoh, took over who knew nothing of the story of Joseph, who actually saved this uh, empire, essentially, from starvation. And in his eyes, rather than being a, a, a good thing, the Israelites were a threat. So his way of controlling the threat was to oppress them. But God works in mysterious ways. So the more he oppressed the Israelites, the more fruitful they became. Moses, um, the story of his birth and uh, his, 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 the way his life is kept is an interesting one. I'd love to talk about how they threw all the uh, newborn men, essentially, uh, boys, into the River Nile uh, to kill them and drown them, and how Moses was also put into the same river, and how much that talks to us about um, Jesus entering the place of our death and actually coming out of it to ensure that our, our salvation from slavery is made possible. But that's a sermon for another day. Uh, not today, and I think Richard might touch on it at some point. If he doesn't, before the series ends on Moses, I'll be sure to return to that particular part of the story. But we meet Moses. Between chapter 1, 2, and 3, many years have gone by. He is, in many ways the wrong person for the job of going to liberate these people who have been slaves. There are so many disqualifying factors, some of which he knows himself and some of which the Israelites will pick up on. One of the things the Israelites might pick up on is um, he was never actually a slave. So Moses went from the river to the Pharaoh's house and lived in the lap of luxury 
He, was, he probably ate good foods. He was trained in the right ways. He was taught how to read and write. And um, if you uh, take Egyptian culture as an example, he probably was taught how to fight. And not just as a foot soldier, but as a commander of armies. So uh, to, to those who were enslaved, this perhaps was the wrong man because he would never know exactly where um, you came from, what your experience was. Why should we follow this man who has never had to step on the straw to make bricks? Why should we follow this man? Um, there's a quick lesson there on how very easy it is to dismiss someone because they perhaps may look different or come from a different demographic. And the reality is actually, if you can't be taught, you can't be taught. And it doesn't matter who it is. If you refuse to be taught by the least, you're not ready to learn. So there we are. He's the wrong person for the job. And the Israelites will know this. And it won't be a doubt to Moses because before he goes to meet the burning bush, um, he has to run away from Egypt. Why? He intervenes in a fight um, and ends up killing someone. And uh, when he thinks he's got away with that murder, he meets two Hebrews and tries to stop them fighting each other. And what do they say to him? Effectively, we know that you are a murderer. We know this. So he flees. He runs away. He runs away because, in his mind, the thing he was trying to do, which is broker peace, he was disqualified from doing because of something he had done in his past. Something he had done in his past. So, to the Israelites, he is um, what colloquially they will call a sellout, someone who is from your stock but has chosen something else. Uh, but he's also a murderer. So he's a murderer and a sellout. The wrong person for the job. Wrong person for the job. Moses believes he's the wrong person for the job so much that he disappears for effectively 40 years. Um, I am 32, so I don't have in my memory 40 years of life. I can't conceptualize how long that is because I don't even remember all 32 years of my life. But for some of us here, that's the reality. You remember what 40 years are like. What, what would it be? Uh, 19, what's my maths? 78. So those who remember the last hot summer. Yeah? The time between that last hot summer and this hot summer. That's how long Moses was in Midian. He had effectively forgotten the life he had left behind. Wrong person for the job. Because essentially, didn't matter to him anymore. When he arrived at this place, uh, he saved uh, the, 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 the girls who were at the watering well from being bullied by the guys who came and were like, we're stronger, move your sheep out of the way. Um, and Moses was like, I've got a sword, I can fight. Move your sheep out of the way. Let the ladies feed their cattle. And effectively, from that point onwards, Mo Moses had a family to look after him. He had a wife, and he had children. So 40 years. 40 years. He had made a life somewhere else. What was Egypt to him? 
nothing. It was the place where he was known as one thing, which he didn't want to be known as anymore. Where he is, he is hero, dad, you know, good shepherd, whatever you want to call that job that he was doing. Wrong person for the job. Wrong person for the job. Then he goes um, to tend these flock um, somewhere. And an angel appears to him in flames or fire from within a bush that's not burning. He sees the bush is on fire and doesn't burn up. It's like, hmm. I, I love this. In the passage it says, so Moses thought, I will go over to see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. He's like, hmm, that's interesting. Let me have a closer look. He's not thinking, I'm going to get a job here. He's just thinking, this is, this is crazy. There's fire, but the bush is not burning. You know, let me go have a closer look. So he goes to have a look. He gets closer to the bush, and what happens? Moses, Moses, a voice from the bush. Um, if it was me, I don't think I'd stay. Um, uh, I'm just being honest with you. you know, I don't think I would stay to, to find out more. By the time the bush had a voice, um, I would be down the mountain. I would be down, the, I would be gone. I, you will work out what it's like for you, but for me, that's what I would do. I would run. But something, something gets this guy to say the one thing that I'm sure, um, I don't even know he was ready to say. Here I am. Here I am. Um, one of my favorite things to do um, as part of the staff team, as part of uh, the clergy here in the parish, and as part of just someone who's called to leadership, is to, is to say to people, I'd love to hear you preach. I'd love to hear you lead the service. I'd love to hear you lead us in prayer. And, and uh, very rarely do I hear, here I am. Very rarely. Most times, all I hear is, ah! which is effectively me running away from the burning bush. Most times, that's what I hear. I chose this passage because this is the point at which Moses' qualifications come to the forefront. And it's the one place that I suspect most of us um, have something to learn from. Um, yes, I got a loud voice, and yes, uh, I've got a bit of confidence in me, but trust me, there are very many points in time where I shudder at the thought of what it is that I'm supposed to do. I'll give you an example. Um, I, I, I love hanging out by myself, which is weird for someone who works with people. Um, and so going to somewhere where I have to network is frustrating and sort of tear-inducing. I'm terrified of the idea of entering a room of people you do not know with the intention of getting to know as many of them as possible when they also want to get to know as many. It's, it's um, yeah, no. Um, I also have a wife who is um, very adamant that I do what it is that I'm supposed to do. So there was no escaping the day that I had to go. Uh, we were at New Wine. Richard was uh, uh, hosting New Wine leaders from the area that he's in charge of. And um, I had to go. 
My stomach was churning. And when I entered the room, I literally found a corner and I did not move. I stood there. Ten minutes. Petrified. But I was in the right place. And all I could say was, God, you know what? If I'm here, and it's because of you that I'm here, the right person will come and will chat. And actually, the right person came. We had a lovely chat. If you want to know who it was, find me after the service. I survived. I'm still here. Yeah? I am not exempt. I'm not exempt. What points in our lives is God coming to us and calling us by name to do something um, that by rights we should not be doing? Which sounds out there. I'll give you an example. There are people who we know in our lives today who do not know this God as their God. There are people in our lives today who do not know the salvation that comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus. There are people who do not know the freedom that comes with being forgiven. Effectively, there are people in our lives who we know, who we are connected to, who are slaves in Egypt. So, the burning bush comes to all of us and calls us by name. What does God do? This is the question for our sermon today. With the things that disqualify us, even if it's in our mind's eye, even if it's in their eyes, from saying, here I am, send me which I don't think Moses says. He just says, here I am. Then God goes, I'm going to send you. What does God do with those disqualifiers? The more I think on this, um, the more I realize that actually God does nothing with them. Because he doesn't all of a sudden take Moses back in time and make him a slave. No, he doesn't. Even when Moses says, don't send me because I, 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 stammer. God doesn't say, I'm going to cure you from stammering. He says, I am sending you. He says, I am sending you. I'm going to heal that narrative in your mind that you're disconnected from these people. Why? Because I have heard the cry of my people in slavery. And I am sending you. So the connection between you and the people who are enslaved is no longer what you think disqualifies you but actually is the person who is sending you. So if you think that because you were raised in Pharaoh's house, you can't speak to Israelites, that is something that you think, not something that God thinks. Because what God says, that's, that is not an impediment. Because I 
objective, supreme, I'm sending you. And if I send you, that is all you need. That is all you need. Don't worry about speaking, because I am sending Aaron with you. You're going to have help. Don't worry about convincing them, because I am going to perform signs and wonders. Don't worry about what you're capable of doing. Yes, you're trained as a military general, perhaps. I am not depending on your capacity to fight. I am sending you, and I will do these things. You just get to plod along. You just get to plod along. The things that Moses thought were in the way of him. So go now, verse 10. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Don't wait for the evidence now before I send you. You just go. And when you get to where I'm telling you you're going to go, you will know that it is me who has sent you. Because it's not something you can plan. It's something that I can plan. It's something that I can execute myself. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Clarity on the eye. I am who I am. This is what you have to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is the qualifier. It's not... It's not Baal, it's not Mehmet or whoever the pharaohs worship. It is this God, this God to whom they refer to as the Lord because they venerate his name. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And just so you know, the end of verse 15, this is my name, not today, Forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Uh, how will they know that I have sent you? Because I have told you my name. And uh, you're the first person I'm telling that it's my name. And you're the first person I'm telling that my name is never going to change. And I am the God who you can trace in your story who you can trace in the stories your grandparents told you about your great-great-great-great-grandfather leaving a place where there were pagans, about your, your, his son uh, going and finding home somewhere after making a mistake, after trying to cheat his brother. Yeah. Uh, I am the God who has been faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful to your people, the one whom you think has forgotten you. My name is everything that I have done for you before. So, what does God do with our disqualifying markers? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Moses has 40 years in the wilderness, and I think that's time for him to pick up and learn who he is. Warts and all. Same way the Israelites have 40 years in the wilderness, and that's time for them to pick up and learn who they are. Warts and all, before they go into the land of promise. Who are you? You come with your disqualifying markers. If, you're, if your bones are old, Moses, at the point where he was going back 
I think, was an old man, because if he was big enough to kill someone, 40 years later, I can guarantee you he was no spring chicken. And he led the Israelites in the wilderness for another 40 years. So is age a disqualifier? No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Take courage. 